Hello again, fight fans. Welcome to episode 244 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Ring Magazine, RingTV.com, and the Ring Digital YouTube channel. Today on the show, TNC 244 for November 14th, Canelo Alvarez and Golden Boy Promotions are no longer a thing. They have parted ways, of course, Canelo, Golden Boy, and The Zone. All three of them go in their separate ways. And uh, Canelo versus Caleb Plant is being talked about for December 19th. That is all but done. It's not official yet, at, at least as of the time I'm recording this, but uh, it is close to being done. If they can pull that off, that's a pretty nice fight, man. Not that Caleb Plant really deserves that fight yet. He hasn't really done enough, in my estimation, to deserve a big pay-per-view fight like that. But I like the matchup. At 168 pounds, no catchweight stuff, none of that. At a full 168, that's a solid fight, man. Again, guys, this is TNC 244 for the week of November 14th. As always, I remind you, please... Make sure that you are subscribed to the Ring Digital YouTube and you click on that notification bell. Make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel, Montero Unboxing. And if you want to catch the audio version, of course, we're live right now on Spreaker. But the podcast is available on all audio podcast platforms around the world. Just look for Montero Unboxing. If you're not following me on Twitter, if you're not following Ring on Twitter, you need to get on that. Okay, guys, um, big news this week, obviously. Big, big news, and we'll get right into that in just a second. Um, no guests this week because I figured a lot of you guys would want to talk about this. So we got open phones. You could jump on at any time. Not a whole lot of action in the ring last week. I mean, we had a couple of fight cards, but they weren't very good. I won't spend too long reviewing the the lackluster action that we saw last week. I'll get right into the preview. We got a couple of uh, pretty decent cards on, uh, coming up on this week's schedule. But big, big news. Canelo Alvarez has split with Golden Boy Promotions. So I just want to be clear about this, okay? Golden Boy Promotions has a deal with DAZN, and that deal is still good. So Golden Boy is going to continue their relationship with DAZN. That's going to keep going. Canelo, though, has split off and done his own thing. This was announced by uh, Eddie Redoso, his trainer, his confidant, his, I think is his manager, his advisor, whatever you want to uh, say whatever, however you want to word it. And uh, he put out a release on social media on English, in English and Spanish, announcing it. Uh, so it's official. Canelo is a free agent. And right away, the fanagers and everybody piled on and started talking about this stuff, of course, talking about money, the pay-per-view buys, the purse guarantees, all this. But the big thing that I noticed, a lot of people were writing off Golden Boy promotions and I personally think a lot of you out there have short memories. I think a lot of you are writing Golden Boy Promotions obituary a little too early, and you're forgetting what took place not that long ago. Go back to, I think it was 2014, 2015, when Richard Schaefer and, of course, Al Heyman and everybody that became what became premier boxing champions, they took a bunch of fighters away from Golden Boy Promotions that Golden Boy had been promoting on their cards but didn't necessarily have a promotional contract with, right? So there was this mass exodus of fighters overnight, seemingly, jumped from one network to a series of networks. And again, that whole thing became Premier Boxing Champions, PBC. And at that time, I remember people were, again, 
writing Oscar De La Hoya, Eric Gomez, Golden Boy Promotions obituary, saying there is no way they are going to recover from this. All these fighters are jumping ship and going over here and starting this other thing on the Southern Network. Golden Boy is done. They are essentially a club promoter now. Fast forward a few years, and what do we have? Golden Boy Promotions is still one of the top promotional companies in the sport. And if you look over the last four or five years, they've put on some of the biggest events in the sport. Now, yes, a lot of that did include Canelo Alvarez. Most of it included Canelo Alvarez. But who built up Canelo Alvarez and made him partially, made him uh, what he became? Golden Boy Promotions. So don't write their obituary quite yet, guys. I think that actually Golden Boy Promotions is in a pretty good place. Now, of course... Of course, Golden Boy would love to have Canelo on their roster still. Who wouldn't if you're a promoter? He's the top proven moneymaker, ticket seller, pay-per-view seller in the sport. That much is true. We know this. However, he brings in a lot of money, a lot of attention, but he also costs a lot of money and costs a lot of attention and energy. Think about it, guys. DAZN, $40 million guarantee. For every Canelo Alvarez fight. Golden Boy Promotions on the hook for $35 million a guarantee to Canelo Alvarez. Now, all of a sudden, that's gone. Okay? I look at Canelo and Golden Boy specifically as kind of like a marriage. And, you know, think about it as a, as a trophy wife situation. I mean, uh, when you have that hot chick. Look, look, I'll personalize this, okay? Before I was married... Back in my single days, I fully admit I was a complete man whore. And I, I've traveled the world more than a few times, my friends. I got stories, okay? I dated a few models and, and actresses and, and those types of women. Six foot tall, runway model type of girls. And you walk down the street, hey, check me out. Yeah, all right. You get attention. You get looks. You get, you get daps from your boys. Everybody's like, hey, man, good job. Good job, player, right? But... That trophy takes a lot of your energy. It, takes, it sucks your energy and attention. And your game in other areas of your life and or your business start to fall because all your focus is going in one particular direction. And that's what we started to see with Golden Boy Promotions in the last few years. It began as a true partnership, as all relationships do, but the dynamic changed. And it became more of a situation where... From my point of view, Golden Boy was really putting all their energy and focus into one place. Now that's done, and you're off the hook for this $35 million guarantee. Let me ask you guys this. How many fights and how many fighters are worth $40 million an event right now? How many fights out there can generate $40 million in this current environment? Now, I'll do some math for you guys, okay? Because a lot of you do pay-per-view by math, and you forget that the pay-per-view provider gets actually a little more than half of the revenue off the top. Then there are other expenses involved. You got to pay the opponent. You got to pay the undercard. There's all sorts of fees. And yes, there's other revenue streams, but we'll leave that out of the conversation for now. I'll just put it to you this way, guys. I'll abbreviate, okay? To generate about $40 million of revenue, you have to sell about a million pay-per-views at 80 bucks a pop, okay? How many paper how many fights right now if they were going to go pay-per-view could generate a million buys in the entire sport of boxing right now? 
Not many that I can think of, okay? Let's backtrack to February before, key, key word here, before a global pandemic, a quarantine, a shutdown, a lockdown, when Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury fought a rematch, a highly anticipated, very well-promoted rematch. PBC and Team Wilder, Top Rank and Team Fury did an outstanding job promoting that rematch. It was one of the the best, most well-promoted shows we have seen in a long, long time. And despite the, the fact that it broke through to, to the mainstream sports media, the MMA guys were talking about it. It, it trended on social media. There were all sorts of articles and videos posted about ratings, record ratings for the preview shows. Remember that? For that that rematch. Despite all of that, it couldn't break a million pay-per-view buys, ladies and gentlemen. And those are two heavyweights, two English-speaking heavyweights. So is Canelo Alvarez going to generate a million pay-per-view buys in this current cord-cutting environment against, uh, who is it? Gennady Golovkin, the third fight, I, I personally, I feel the expiration date is coming gone on that one. I'm not that interested in that fight anymore. We don't, we don't know what's left with Golovkin. He hasn't fought yet this year. He's going to come back and fight as mandatory in December. But he had a tough fight against Derevyanchenko last year. Who knows what he's got left? I'm, I don't necessarily need to see that third fight right now. Maybe the interest will be there down the line. But So the rumor is Canelo is going to fight Caleb Plant December 19th on pay-per-view. I don't know. Uh, I imagine it'll be either Showtime or probably Fox pay-per-view. Does that generate a million pay-per-view buys? Outside of diehard boxing fans, nobody knows who the hell Caleb Plant is. No disrespect to him. He just hasn't fought anybody yet. This is a quantum leap in opposition for him if this fight comes off. He's not a brand. He's not a name. He's not half the brand or name of 10 or more fighters between 160 and 175 right now. So does that generate a million pay-per-view buys? Back up a little bit. I said a million pay-per-view buys would equal about 40 million. That means about half a million pay-per-view buys would equal about 20 million. Now, apparently, according to sources, uh, there was an offer made from DAZONE that said, look, Canelo, Team Canelo, We'll, we'll whack it in half. We'll give you $20 million plus some upside, depending on subscriptions and all this good stuff. $20 million guarantee. And he turned that down. So let, let, let me uh, here's, here's another perspective that a, a lot of people are not talking about. They're overlooking. When DAZN came into this renegotiation, this lawsuit that was brought by Canelo, when they went into this renegotiation, DAZN, Golden Boy, Canelo, they had data this time. They weren't going in blind as they were two years ago when they signed Canelo to this record deal, right? They actually had data, and they were able to say, look, this is what you did against Fielding, Jacobs, and Kovalev. Here's the subscribership you brought in. Here's the revenue. They came in with a stack of paper like this and had data this time. And based upon that data and everything else that they had, they came up with this $20 million figure. Alvarez turned that down. So, what that tells me is Alvarez and his team feel that they can go out there and do half a million pay-per-view buys for at least the majority of their fights coming up. We shall see. That remains to be seen. But again, I think a lot of you have short memories because I just brought up the, the PBC situation with Richard Schaefer, that whole thing, the mass exodus of fighters from Golden Boy about five or six years ago. But you guys forget, man, Oscar De La Hoya, he once left top rank. Floyd Mayweather left top rank. The Klitschko brothers uh, left Universal. That was a big deal over in Germany. We've seen this play before in boxing, and guess what? We will see it again. Now, here's why I say Golden Boy Promotions is actually set up 
pretty well right now, okay? Would I put them up there with the, t- the top ranks and the top guys right now? No, this takes them down a notch. It does. It, it takes them down a notch. But hear me out. They've got Ryan Garcia and Virgil Ortiz. Now, neither of those guys are superstars. You know, Ryan Garcia is on social media, but screw that. We're talking boxing right here. Neither of those guys are superstars, but they both have the p- potential to become superstars, okay? They're both American, both Mexican-American. And with Garcia, of course, he's from the Southern California, greater Los Angeles area. That is the hotbed of boxing in North America. California runs boxing globally. It runs boxing, but especially in the United States, right? I think I've told you guys this before. The California State Athletic Commission puts on more shows in a year than Nevada, Texas, New York, and New Jersey combined. That's crazy, okay? California runs boxing, and the hottest prospect out of California right now, Ryan Garcia, Golden Boy has them. In Texas, which I think is the second biggest, most important market in boxing right now, you guys that watch the show, you know I've been talking about that for years. You got Virgil Ortiz, who is from the Dallas area. He's already done some crowds there. And so so you've got Texas and California. Who are the biggest, the top the, the biggest fan contingency in those two states, Mexican-American fans, correct? Not that there aren't wonderful fans of, of all backgrounds in those markets, of course, but the, two, the largest fan contingency in those two states and those two markets are the Mexican-American fans. That's just the demographics of those areas. And Garcia and Ortiz are Mexican-American. So I think Golden Boy Promotions is is set up very well there. And now, instead of focusing on trying to get a $35 million payday together for Canelo twice a year, you can start developing these guys and get them to the next level. It's going to start December 5th when Garcia fights Luke Campbell. And that's also that coincides with the zone's launch in 200 plus markets, which includes the UK. So I think that they're set up pretty well, man. Also, guys, Jaime Munguia, Jorge Linares is still around. How about Bektamir Melakuziev, Bek the Bully? How about him? Shu Khan, remember him? Joseph Diaz, Sanisi Estrada, one of the up-and-coming female fighters. Elwin Soto, Rashidi Ellis, David Lemieux still around. None of those guys are going to be superstars. None of them are going to be all-time greats. I'm not saying that. I'm not suggesting that. But you have enough talent right there to build up. Look, man, Golden Boy already in the L.A. area, a lot of you guys don't know this unless you live in L.A., they regularly do club-level, like low-level shows and mid-level shows. Uh, There's a couple of casinos an hour or so outside of L.A., and there's a couple of venues in L.A. where you could do those club type of shows, and the fans in those areas are used to attending those shows. So they're set up very well with what I call a – compare it to baseball with the farm system – where you've got single A, double A, triple A ball, right? Before you go to the majors. They've got that whole setup, man. That infrastructure's there, guys. And then you've got Ryan Garcia and Virgil Ortiz. So if those two develop, Garcia is a lightweight right now. He will settle eventually as a welterweight. Ortiz is a welterweight right now. He will settle eventually as a middleweight. I'm telling you, those guys are going to lose fights. They're going to they're have ups and downs, but they're going to win titles. They're going to be stars in the sport. I'm pretty confident saying that. I'm not saying either of those guys will necessarily be number one pound for pound. They both have the potential to be up there on the pound for pound list one day, but we don't know what's going to happen. But I think that they're in a good place, Golden Boy is, with that setup. So do not write their obituary just yet. Now, for Canelo Alvarez, again, 
a lot of possibilities here. It just depends on what he wants to do. Does he ever want to go back down to 160? The biggest fight at 160 financially right now would probably still be a third fight with Golovkin. They could do that 164, 168. They have options there. But if he wants to fight Charlo, big fight for boxing fans. I don't necessarily know if that's a big marketable fight, though, because we just saw the numbers from the Charlo pay-per-view doubleheader. That is one of the best pay-per-view values we have seen in a long, long time. And it barely cracked 100,000 pay-per-view buys. So how much demand is there outside of diehard fight freaks and fanagers on Twitter that want to see Canelo fight Charlo? I think the money for him is at 168. Now, there's Plant, but there's also Benavidez. I'd love to see that fight. There's also this guy named Dimitri Bivol. Remember him? I'd love to see that fight. And Bivol has been calling out Canelo forever. He's willing to move down to 168. Should Canelo, should he ever want to truly, truly challenge himself Artur Baturbiev at 175. I think the entire world would like to see that just because of the spectacle of it. That fight, because nobody knows who the hell Baturbiev is outside of diehard fight fans, that would need to be built up because that would have to huge risk right now, not the biggest reward. If they could build up the reward end of that, maybe it could happen. But again, all the names I just mentioned, other than Benavidez, which I do think a fight between him and Benavidez would, would sell pretty well. But out those other, other names, do any of those fights reach a million pay-per-view buys? I, I don't think so in this era. We'll see how he does against Caleb Plant if that fight comes off. But I would be surprised if that fight did well north of half a million buys. I truly, truly would. Uh, so, look, who knows? If Errol Spence gets by Danny Garcia, he's called out Canelo. Spence has the frame to go to 160. Canelo is a short squat kind of guy. Spence would be taller and longer than him if they fought. I wouldn't mind seeing that fight. That's a fight that maybe could break through and transcend. There are a few options there. But anyway, at this point, Canelo, Golden Boy, and DeZone, I think all three of them, where Canelo is in his career, this was the best thing, the absolute best thing for all three parties involved, including DeZone. They're not on the hook for $40 million a pop, guys. They can go their own way now and develop their business. COVID beat the shit out of the zone. Really, really did. And they've got to rebuild. They're not, they, they, they're set up. I mean, they still have a deal with Golden Boy, Matchroom. The World Boxing Super Series will be back for a season three. So they're set up okay. The superstar fight, I don't know. I don't know. They, they still have Anthony Joshua, but if he fights Tyson Fury, obviously that's going over on the other side on pay-per-view on ESPN. We'll find out. We shall find out what happens with the zone. They are the one entity out of all this I guess I would be most concerned about. However, you just saved $80 million a year if you're the zone that you can put into a whole bunch of other fights and fighters. So I think overall this was really, really good news, guys, all around for the business of boxing and all parties involved. Let me know if you think I'm nuts, but that's the way I tend to see it. Okay, let's talk about pay-per-view numbers. Uh, Javante Davis, Leo Santa Cruz, apparently their pay-per-view did just a little north of 200,000 buys, which if you watch the neutral corner, I've been telling you guys since this fight was announced, well, not since it was announced, a little after that, that it would double the Charlo doubleheader pay-per-view because Javante Davis moves the needle, particularly with African-American fans. 
through his relationship with Floyd Mayweather, but also his exciting fighting style. And he's proven this by selling tickets, but he moves the needle more than the Charlos. That much has been proven. The fight between him and Santa Cruz wasn't nearly half as good of a fight, at least on paper, as both of the Charlo fights. Because again, both of the Charlo fights were against a top five fighter in their respective divisions. So that doubleheader was a better value than the Davis-Santa Cruz pay-per-view. But style points matter and name recognition matters. So 200,000 buys. Look, that is decent numbers for a guy making his pay-per-view debut, I suppose, considering everything going on right now. But I heard people calling this great numbers. And, oh, this exceeded expectations. Who? Whose expectations did this succeed? I'm really surprised that people thought the Davis pay-per-view would not outperform the Charlo pay-per-view. Like, where have you people been? How many tickets have the Charlo brothers sold at fights? Compare that to Davis, who has sold out crowds in multiple venues. I expected this to get 200000 maybe even up to two fifty, at least twice what the Charlo pay-per-view did. For me... Exceeding expectations would be if it did 300,000 or more, which it didn't. It landed right about where I thought it would. I do find it interesting that with fans and fanagers and everything else, um, they buy into the promotional narrative that Floyd Mayweather, and he's not the only one, but Floyd Mayweather is, is, is shouting now, which is, hey, man, we fought on pay-per-view. So now Tank is a pay-per-view fighter. He is a pay-per-view attraction. He's the A-side. When Floyd was asked about fights with Tiafima Lopez, Ryan Garcia, those kind of guys, it's, oh, man, but you know, Tank's the A-side. We'll, we'll do it, but Tank's the A-side. That's pretty much 2020 promoter speak for we're not interested. We're going to go over here and do the uh, low-risk, high-reward thing. And that's what the Santa Cruz fight was. That was a showcase set up all along, right? So good for Tank. He continues to build his brand. I look at the fight with Santa Cruz and the card and the whole, the whole event as a success because as I've been telling you guys since it was announced, that was a brand-building experience. That's what it was. It was a brand, I'm sorry, a brand-building exercise. And that's what he did. He scored an emphatic knockout in an exciting fight. He took some punches along the way, which made it exciting. Um, there was a good crowd there, did a decent live gate, all things considered. And uh, the knockout trended on social, and he sold about 200,000 pay-per-view buys. That's a success at this stage of his career. Does that make him a star? Am I ready to call him a star? No. Is he a pay-per-view fighter, a pay-per-view brand? No. That's ridiculous. So people saying that, I think you're really, really jumping the gun, man. And I see people making comparisons to Gennady Golovkin's first, of course, Gennady Golovkin's first pay-per-view with David Lemieux. Or... um, or Bud Crawford's first pay-per-view with Victor Postal. In both of those situations, uh, you're, you're, those fights went to pay-per-view because there was no network date available and no network uh, site fee or anything up front available, so the promotion had to go to pay-per-view. It wasn't part of the business plan. They kind of had to because of the, the financials involved. There just wasn't a date available. This was pre-stream, guys. This was pre-DAZN, pre-ESPN+, and all that. This is back when it was either going to be on HBO or Showtime. And Top Rank had an exclusive deal with HBO. I think K2, uh, Golovkin was an HBO fighter. And there was no date available. You got to go to pay-per-view to, to pay the fighters their guarantee. So that's why those went to pay-per-view. 
completely different situation. But then with Golovkin Lemieux, you have two non-Americans fighting. With, with Crawford Postal, you have one American, but fighting against an unknown uh, non-American. So the brand recognition wasn't there either, and the situation with the pay-per-view is different as well. So there's kind of apples to oranges comparisons. You can't make a direct comparison. There are parallels, of course. And in, in, in a way, you could say that Davis, you know, outperformed because of how well this pay-per-view did. But something a lot of you don't know. I mean, coming into this, the financial A side was Leo Santa Cruz. His guaranteed purse was higher than Tank Davis's. And I think it's pretty safe to assume that they targeted him as a Mexican-American fighter, a veteran who's been fighting for well over a decade now, uh, has name recognition among diehard fight fans, particularly the Mexican-American fan base, even some casuals, because he's been around. The fights with Carl Frampton, uh, the fights with Abner Morris, everything else. So even though he really wasn't a rated fighter at 130 pounds, he was a known fighter. And I think we can assume that Leo Santa Cruz brought in at least half of those pay-per-view buys. Opponents matter when it comes to putting butts in seats and selling pay-per-views. So again, guys, apples and oranges comparison there, but overall a success for Tank in his first pay-per-view. Okay, uh, Alexander Povetkin, test positive for COVID. Rematch with Delia White postponed. Miguel Burchelt, also test positive for COVID. His fight with Oscar Valdez is postponed. But hey, COVID is officially over. People are out celebrating in the streets because of the election results. And because of the election results, it appears that we're not mask shaming or COVID shaming anymore. So I guess these COVID tests are going to go away soon. And we're going to start having live fight fans at fights. At least that's what it looks like to me. Um, Anyway, okay. Let's get to the review. Not a whole lot to talk about last week. That's positive. Look, guys, we've had some great fights in in the recent month or so. October was great. Not every weekend is going to be a home run, a slam dunk. You know what I'm saying? How many more cliches can I pull out? A strike, right? So we had a pretty shitty weekend of cards. There's just no way to say it. Now, you go back to this summer with the bubble series on ESPN. People were bitching about a lot of those cards. The only distinction I would make is that those bubble series cards over the summer were more equivalent to, I would say, PBC's FS1 shows where, or, or like a showbox card or something like that where it's about prospect development, fights like that. We had a fight uh, Saturday night on regular Fox from Los Angeles. These were heavyweights on Fox. This was a Fox main event. And boy, was this a shit card from PBC. Now, look, all promoters have shit cards. This year, because of COVID and everything else, it's been across the board, okay? But damn, Luis Ortiz coming off his KO loss to Wilder last November, going up against Alexander Flores, who had an extremely weak resume coming in. This guy was knocked out by Charles Martin, just to put the level perspective there, okay, guys? And he gets knocked out by a forearm, like a minute or so into the fight, if that. A lot of people are saying Flores took a dive. I don't think the guy took a dive. I think that Ortiz was extremely... I'm not going to say sloppy, but there was ring rust. The guy's like 68 years old. He hasn't fought in a year. He overshot with a punch. I think it was a right hand. And he landed with the forearm. The forearm smacked Flores in the face. He goes down. I think it was a legit knockdown. I truly do. But I think he could have fought on. He just didn't want to. He was done. Did he take a dive? No. But did he 
mentally, emotionally capitulate? Yes, that's what I saw. These two had no business being in the ring together. Flores is a sparring partner level fighter for Ortiz. No disrespect to him, but there are levels to this game. I could have went in there, seriously, and lasted just as long as Flores. That's what we saw, and and I suck. So there you go. Also on this card, Cuban heavyweight prospect Frank Sanchez gets a W. He's, you know, 28, but he looks like he's 78. Uh, Something about the Cubans that that, – I don't know, man. So some of these guys, I I question their age. All right, uh, matchroom on the zone in Florida. So you had some heavyweight action. Philip Hergovich uh, wins, beats Rydell Booker. Why is Rydell Booker still fighting? He needs to hang him up. Zile Zhang uh, from China, who is, I think, 38. He gets an impressive knockout over Devin Vargas, but it's Devin Vargas. I think everyone slow down. I don't think he's the next big thing. At some point, he's going to be lined up for a title shot. But um, Philip Hergovich, look, a lot of people are super high on him. I think he's a little robotic and stiff. We'll find out, okay? I'm not super high on Hergovich. And by the way, I've been saying this for years. Go back and check the record. The guy at heavyweight I've been most interested in, the highest on, has been Daniel Dubois. And that, it's been that way for the last two or three years. Those of you who listen to the show, you know that. So it's, I'm not just going with the flow, going with the polls like the politicians do. I'm serious. I just, Hergovich has some tools. I just don't know if I look at him and see future world champion. I just don't know. And it's the same thing with uh, Zile Zong. Now, in the main event, Kevin, or Kevin, Devin Haney scores a unanimous decision win over Yoriokas Gamboa, defends his email title from the Will Belt anybody. Well, no, that's the WBA, the WBC. We back Canelo. That's the WBC. Or we be crooks. There's a few of them out there, a few good ones. Anyway, this isn't a real title fight. And here's why the WBC, they screwed the fans with the whole franchise and email belt situation. They screwed Lomachenko, ended up screwing Tiafima Lopez. But really who they screwed the most was Devin Haney. Devin Haney is a prospect, ladies and gentlemen. He's 21, I think 21, 22 years old. He makes Lopez look old. He's younger than Tiafimo Lopez, right? By, by I think like two years. He's a young guy, man. He's a prospect. He, he not, But because he has a, a world title, there's a lot of weight on him. A lot of it is he put on himself by talking all that shit on Twitter. Him and his team talked a lot. When you talk like that and you got the strap, you have to back it up. Those of us who are diehard fans, we know – what it is. We, we know that that title is absolute bullshit. My morning shit, my morning coffee shit is worth more than that title that Haney has. But when you belt a prospect like this, you amplify their profile with the casual fans because now they're seeing this like, oh, this guy's a world champion and there's higher demand. You're going you're gonna to demand more money. Haney's been making good money fighting lower tier opposition. Uh, I can't remember who it was last year that he defended his title against. And he got seven figures, man. So this dude is making good money to fight B and C level opposition. He's doing very well for a prospect. If he didn't have this title, this would just be a prospect learning exercise against Yoriokas Gamboa. But because he has a title and he's been talking shit and calling everybody out and he's got the LDBC guys saying Lomachenko ducked him, this, that, the other thing. He went out there and dominated every second of this fight against Gamboa. Won 120-108 on my card. And yet, it kind of feels like a letdown. 
guys, if there's any prospect in the world, just picture in your mind, any prospect in the world at 21 years old fights a former world champion. And yeah, he's past, he's like 58 years old. He's moved up a couple of weight divisions, but still he's a former world champion, a lot of experience, good fighter. And you win 120-108, you're happy for your prospect. You're thinking, man, he just passed this, this test with an A. A plus, not A. A plus would be the knockout. But he scored an A on this test. Won every single round against a dude who's been there, done that. Great amateur career, great pro career, won titles, very experienced, fought everybody. And we won every round against this dude. You'd be happy. But because he's got that title, because he's getting those seven-figure paydays, because he's been talking all that shit, calling everybody out and saying some dumbass shit on some of these YouTube channels and these interviews, divisive, nasty rhetoric, and then talking like someone like Lomachenko ducked him. You can't do all that and then go out there and put everybody to sleep against the Yoriokas Gamboa. You're going to get shit for it. Devin Haney deserves every last ounce of criticism that he got from fans on boxing Twitter and the media alike this weekend, even though he dominated Gamboa. It sounds crazy, but it's true, guys. Okay, fight preview. I figured this would be a short show, man, because uh, pretty pretty crappy week and last weekend. And then this week, we got a couple of interesting fights, but nothing that's going to set the world on fire. It's a little better than last weekend, but still nothing great. So, Let's get into this. Uh, Wednesday, November 11th, MTK uh, Global Card picked up by ESPN+. Plus. A lot of people b- b- diss these cards and bash these cards. I think people don't have perspective of what these cards are. Again, cards have levels. There's lower tier, mid tier, upper tier, and like pay-per-view tier. These cards are Wednesday night cards that ESPN picks up on MTK Global to give you guys extra cards to watch. They're not supposed to be the shit you get on the weekend. So, yeah, these cards aren't loaded. But you get to see some of these prospects from other parts of the world. These cards are almost always taking place over in Europe. And you get boxing in the middle of the week. A lot of you guys talk about, man, I wish there was fights on Wednesdays, Tuesdays. Well, you're getting some of that with ESPN Plus and some of these other streaming networks. Anyway, uh, in the main event of this, a, a fairly interesting main event fight between Tersinbe Kalukmet a Kazakhstan fighter, going up against Macaulay McGowan, 10 rounds, junior middleweights, Saturday, November 14th. PBC on Fox Sports 1. I think they have a card from Los Angeles. I don't know who's fighting on that card, though. I just know it's um, PBC on FS1. Uh, there were no names on the schedule. And then Matchroom on the Zone from London. They should name this the female power card. There was actually going to be three female championship fights in this card, but one card got scrapped due to injury. Uh, Ebony Bridges uh, had to pull out because uh, she got injured. So that fight is off. But Terry Harper defending her WBC junior lightweight title against Katharina Thanders out of Norway. It's a 10-rounder, of course, because the female championship fights are 10 rounds. Harper coming off a draw in her last fight with Natasha Jonas. That was in August. And in the main event. Katie Taylor going up against Miriam Gutierrez, a Spanish fighter fighting outside of her native Spain for the first time in her career. And for Taylor, this will be the first defense of her (coughs) undisputed lightweight championship of the world. So that is over on Matchroom. Female power from London. Top rank 
has a show from the bubble in Las Vegas, obviously, on ESPN and ESPN+. Plus. I like that they're putting it on both the app and the network. That's smart. They did the same thing with Lomachenko-Lopez. In the co-main, Joshua Franco going up against Andrew Maloney in a rematch. Remember, these two fought, I think it was in June, and uh, that was the first career loss for Maloney. So uh, rematch here for Franco's WBA regular super flyweight title. Maloney was KO'd in the 11th round. Can uh, Franco show even more improvement in this fight? Because uh, that fight was competitive. It's not like it was a completely one-sided type of event. But it looked like Franco grew up in front of our eyes a little bit. He had those great fights with Oscar DeGrette, but in this fight, he showed some more levels. They call him L, uh, the, the professor, and he showed professor level uh, levels in, the, in that fight and finished stronger than he started. So uh, let's see if he can take that forward into the rematch with Maloney. In the main event, Terrence Crawford versus Kell Brook. No, you did not travel back in a time machine three or four years. This is 2020. Crawford versus Brook for Bud's WBO welterweight title. This is Bud's fifth fight at welterweight, his first of 2020. Uh, first time he's been in the ring since uh, getting dropped, but ultimately stopping Igadijas Kavaliauskas last year. Brook, remember, he had those back-to-back losses to Golovkin and Spence in 2016 and 2017. 3-0 since but against woeful opposition. So on paper, this is supposed to be a one-sided thrashing from Bud Crawford. We shall see. Styles do make fights, and Crawford isn't the biggest puncher in the world, but I predict a late-round stoppage for Bud. All right, looks like we got a caller here. Let me jump over to the phone lines. Hang on one second. 901, you are on TNC. Go. Okay there, Mike. Hey, uh, you betcha. This Midwest Ceylon again. Uh, I got you on speakerphone because I dropped my uh, my iPhone here into a, a half-drunk uh, picture old style, and it's kind of <laughs> fouling up on me now. Uh, I love it. <laughs> you know, I, I just I would be I too I managed to tune in live from the very beginning, and I'm thinking, my God, you know what's uh, what's Pavetkin not tested positive for? I mean, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true, true that. Uh, the only thing he hasn't tested COVID for positive for is HIV, as far as I know. <clears throat> yeah, I was just thinking I'd hate to see his VD test. He seems to have a track record of always getting positive. Yeah, no shit. My God. You know, there's a couple of uh, – I kind of agree with you. There's not much to say about a lot of these fights from this weekend, but you didn't cover the uh, – the. Uh, I, I wanted to pipe up when you started talking about the Katie Taylor and uh, Abani Bridges fights. Uh uh, it's too bad she hurt herself. Uh, you know, I was hoping to see the weigh-ins and, and then maybe the fight too. But uh, you know, may, uh, you know, yeah, maybe Claudia Trejos could stand in for her if you you know what I'm saying. Yeah, but, I know uh, what you're saying. You, uh, you, you what, said what it, bro, I, not me. Yeah, you know, I, I I didn't hear you mention nothing about uh, one of my favorite uh, women's fighters, uh, Kali Race. She's the one who uh, oh, a couple yeah. years back put. Uh, put the first lady on her keister with a, a nice hard straight right if i remember correct yeah she won a fight friday i actually posted the story on uh, ringtv.com the recap of that fight she it was weird man because the fight was on friday night but it aired via tape delay saturday night on impact network 
which is a new network, I guess. Uh, and they're going to air it again November 14th, this Saturday, for a second time. And I was watching it live, the, the, the replay, I should say, Saturday night. And like halfway through the fight, the fight just cut out and it went to some religious programming. It, it was odd. But anyway, yeah, I, I, I did catch the fight. Uh, Reese looked good. It was her first time fighting at 140. And so uh, I think that's a good weight for her. And I hope yeah, that, didn't she, wasn't that, she coming down from 154 or something like that? She's fought as high as 160. So, yeah, she was coming down a full, like, 20 oh. pounds. But she looked good, and I'd like to see her in with any of the other champions at 140. I think it'd be fun. Yeah, you bet. Uh, well, you know, Katie Taylor has made a, a – didn't she sort of dip her toes up into 140 uh, one or once or twice already? I know she's talked about it because there was talk about her fighting uh, possibly – Cecilia Brekhus. I think there was talk of her fighting Serrano at one point, and then after that, Brekhus. So I, I, there's been talk of it. I, I mean, that would be an awesome fight at some point uh, if, if Taylor wants to keep moving up in weight. Hell yeah, man. You know, I've been a fan of the ladies for a good while. I like, you know, Kali Race. I really like uh, Hannah Gabriels. Uh, she's from Costa Rica. I like her a lot. I think her boyfriend uh, fought... Uh, didn't her boyfriend fight on the uh, Con uh, Crawford card up in Madison Square Garden? I forget. He's he's actually smaller than she than she is. To tell you the truth, it's kind of funny. But um, <laughs> I watched them, and I was you know I was checking out the uh, the field hockey team from Michigan, and I just Mike, I just can't help but 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 thinking that a lot of these girls like Jude Avendal or you know uh, Ricardo, I, I I can't help but think a lot of these gals or maybe some of our more corn fed, you know, upper peninsula types would have a, <laughs> would have a pretty good success over in, in the, in, in the women's boxing. I mean, they're kind of rugged. Uh, you take to, some of those softball players and put you know, them in the ring, huh? Hey man. Uh, again, you yeah. said it, not me. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, to tell you the truth, uh, they're not going to get down to 140 anytime soon, <laughs> if you, you know, between you and me. But, uh, you know, I, I, I hope to see it taken off more in the United States. <laughs> I, I would too, man. It's it's starting to happen. It's starting to happen. There's, uh, there's a lot of female female fighters coming up, man. I think that uh, female boxing is definitely expanding and growing. Uh, just thank you for your call, man. Jesus, I needed that laugh. Oh, man. Good talking to you, uh, Mike. Yeah, <laughs> good talking to you, brother. Whew. Have a good one, man. Okay, now. Oh, okay, shit. There. Uh, any of you who've been up in the Midwest and seen some of the softball players up there, <clears throat> you could you could figure out what uh, Midwest Ceylon's talking about there. Okay, man, man, oh man, that was funny. Okay, <clears throat> I, you guys got to remember, I'm from Michigan, so I know exactly what he's talking about. Okay, so we got the news, we got the review, we got the preview. And I think that was it for phone calls today, guys. Shorter show than normal, but you know what? Half short, twice strong. Nothing wrong with that. All right. Uh, Lobster11 in the chat says, All joking aside, for the best viewing pleasure, look up Women's Beach Handball on YouTube. All right, brother. We'll take you up on that. Hey, man. Whenever there's women's volleyball or women's tennis on, I'm there. That's all good. You know what I'm saying? All right, guys. uh, We'll do it again next Monday. All right. And, um, yeah, good show today. All right. I'll see you at the fights.